It's stunning how quickly Oklahoma's defense has regressed. Four games ago, everything was fine. The Sooners' defense was stingy in that 4-0 start to the season. Opponents averaged just over 300 yards per game and a minuscule 4.5 yards per play. OU was creating havoc, which is what Alex Grinch's Speed D is designed to do. 32 tackles for loss and 14 sacks in the Sooners' first four games. Oklahoma was on pace to have more TFLs and more sacks this year than they had in 2019 and than they had in 2020. And despite the horrors of that Tulane game to start the year, teams were not hitting that many big plays on the Sooners. Oklahoma gave up 12 explosives in its first four games, which was on pace for the fewest amount of big plays allowed in a season since Grinch arrived in Norman. Year three of Alex Grinch as the Oklahoma defensive coordinator was going to plan. After all, in his first two years on the job, he had improved the Sooners' defense since the Mike Stoops, Ruffin McNeil days of 2018. And speaking of 2018, that year, Oklahoma gave up 453 yards per game. In 2020, a season ago, OU gave up 350 yards per game, a 100-plus yard difference. In 2018, OU gave up 6.1 yards per play. In 2020, OU gave up 5.1 yards per play, a difference of a full yard. 2018, 33 points per game allowed. 2020, 24 points per game allowed, a nine-point difference. Havoc numbers also increased, which is not a surprise. OU averaged two sacks per game in 2018. That number jumped to 3.3 sacks per game in 2020, 5.6 5.6 TFLs in 2018, 7.3 in 2020. Oklahoma's defensive numbers were really good last year, and Alex Grinch's history suggested that year three in his system would result in even better numbers. While at Washington State, Grinch's third season as defensive coordinator back in 2017 was statistically his best year with the Cougars. Yards per game, yards per play, points per game, sacks, TFLs, and takeaways. All better that season than it was in year one and than it was in year two at Wazoo. And if you go back to one month ago, all of those metrics here at Oklahoma were on pace to be better in 2021 than both 2019 and 2020. OU's defense was carrying the team while the offense struggled to score points with Spencer Rattler at the helm. And then the K-State game happened. The drop in Oklahoma's defensive performance over the last four games is staggering. I hope you're sitting down because these numbers are disgusting. OU, the last four contests, has allowed 469 yards per game. In the first four games, that number was 301. That's a 168-yard difference. Yards per play. Remember just four and a half to start the season, but the last four games, OU's giving up 7.1 yards per play. 7.1! To put that in perspective, for the entire season, Kansas is giving up 7.2 yards per play. 7.1 is absolutely terrible. Points per game, nearly double the amount allowed since the start of the season, 16 to 31 and a half. Havoc numbers, awful. Just six sacks for the Sooners in the last four games. And after averaging eight TFLs through the first four, OU's averaging just 5.5 TFLs over the last four. 
And finally, explosive plays. The Sooners have allowed 28 explosive plays in their last four games. Remember, in the first four, that number was 12. 12. The last four games, Oklahoma's defense statistically is worse than the Sooners' 2018 defense. A unit that was one of the worst Power 5 defenses maybe in the history of college football. The 2018 season was a full season, 14 games. In this instance, with Alex Grinch's 2021 team, we're just dealing with a four-game sample size, and that absolutely matters. I get it. But what happens if this trend at Oklahoma continues for a fifth game and a sixth game, a seventh game? Let's hope we don't have to find out the answer to that question. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hey there, welcome to West of Everest. It's almost November, OU's 8-0, but Lincoln Riley had to tell everybody at his weekly news conference that no, the sky is not falling. Don't write off this team just yet. This undefeated team, by the way. We shall discuss. Joining me to talk all about what the heck is going on with this Oklahoma football team, my co-host Grant Benson. What's going on, Grant? Nothing much. Busy week. Definitely uh, ready for, for the weekend to come. I'm, I'm ready to uh, to put the KU game behind us because we're talking about it way too much at this point in time. And maybe maybe rightfully so, but I'm tired of it. Let's not talk about it anymore. And we're about to talk nope, about sorry. it a lot, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, or, and we're about to talk about it for a while because we have three-word reviews. I said that on the last podcast, we do your three-word reviews to start because I forgot to get to them last time. So I'll go through here. And we'll see what uh, transpires. We'll start with our cousin Daniel. Legal forward handoff is his three-word review. It says it's a phrase that he's never heard before. And he's never had to have a ref clarify that on a game-winning drive. It's still weird. That's still a whole weird thing. Yeah, and let me, like, I, I kind of want to clarify something I said on the last podcast. Yeah, like, a, a legal forward handoff is not a concept I've ever heard of before. But I was just like, when I was watching the game live, in my head I was thinking, I was like, that's just a handoff. Like, that, I, that's, that's what I was yeah. thinking. I, I didn't, like, there was nothing about it to me that was just like, uh, that's obviously illegal. I think, I, think, I, think that's what, I think it's what a lot of people just sort of jumped to because they've never seen it before. Sure, I, I gotcha. It just it comes down to the if you're across the line of scrimmage, you can't be running and then hold the ball out forward and then like hand it off to somebody. Who cares? Whatever. Child of God on Twitter says cornerbacks can't cover. By the way, I'm looking at my Twitter profile at Lee Benson News Nine for three word reviews. I'll get to the Facebook page in a second. Child of God, cornerbacks can't cover. Question mark exclamation point. They didn't cover very well on Saturday, no doubt. At Matt R. Zim says, only one sack? We didn't talk much about this in the last episode, and the sack didn't come until garbage time. I mean, it didn't matter. It came when the game was over. I was about to say, when was it? Who, who got it? I don't even know. Who, what? Uh, Benito. Benito got it on the last drive. Oh, that's right. Jed Castles from News 9, my coworker, says, lipstick on a pig. Another one from Matt. Stop injury excuse. And just just harsh. And says, bench Lincoln Riley. <laughs> I don't know what that guy would do, and but uh, let's see. Who would the next guy? Uh, I guess Bill Biedenboe is the co-offensive coordinator. So I guess Bill would be calling plays. Get a lot of running plays. But they run the ball a lot anyway. I would. Uh, 
In that situation, I would be almost certain that it would be Kale Gundy calling the plays. You don't think that the co-offensive coordinator would be calling the plays? No. I'm, I guess, I just no, I don't think so. I, th- I think that that would pretty clearly be Kale. Lincoln Riley's never ever going to let anybody else call plays. Never. He could get COVID and he can't coach, and he's still going to find a way to call plays. I think he could I be injured. Don't think that's in a, legal in a I don't hospital. Think he, don't think he could do that. <laughs> He could be in a hospital bed like Hugh Freeze was that one time and be calling plays from the press box. <laughs> that was I'm one of... I'm sure he was doing. I kind of feel like just as a, as a culture and as college football fans, we, we, blazed, we, we blazed past that way too quick, the Hugh, the, like the Hugh Freeze thing. That's, that's, that's one of the best moments in the history of American sport. I agree. That was 2019, I think. I mean, I don't know. Liberty I versus I, Syracuse. I believe it was 2019. Yeah, Liberty versus Syracuse. The, the image of Dino Babers <laughs> looking up to the press box and giving Hugh Freeze a thumbs up. And then the, the, the great directing job by the, I'm, I think it was on ESPN, cutting to Hugh Freeze in the hospital bed, like waving, was the, one of the greatest moments, as you said, in the history of American sports. I agree. I, I mean, agree. It's, it's right up there with, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything funny. What, 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 like, what's a big time American sports moment? Oh, the you know the the bands on the field, right up there with um, Carl Yastrzemski and the the ALC or the NLCS, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, waving the, the Giants home run win the pennant. Yeah, the yeah, it really is. You know the the helmet catch, Giants Patriots Super Bowl, David Tyree. You know, it's it's up there. No, I just realized the hardcore baseball fans don't don't be mad at me. Carl Yastrzemski was not the uh, the Giants win the pennant. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you were just doing the Giants win the pennant. I thought you were doing it in addition to the Carl Yastrzemski one. Come on. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, sure. Fine. That's enough baseball for this podcast. Thank you. All right, let's go to Caleb. He says, what a mess. <laughs> uh, Joshua on Twitter says, Mike Stoops flashbacks. And if you listen to my opening take, which I'm sure all of you did, unless you fast forwarded through it, the... In the last four games, the defense is worse than the Mike Stoops defense, statistically. And that is wow. Wow, wow, wow. Longtime listener, Josh at Shaq Adams says, against Kansas, really? Also, he says, Grinch hot seat, question mark. Smile says, is this it? Kind of like that one. Drew, lack of effort. Let's get positive with Dalton here on Twitter. Fourth down king. Will Caleb Williams love? Jack says, dude, Kansas, really? And that was a big theme of our last podcast. And also, I'll give a shout out to Gabe and Teddy's podcast. I listened to that one after we did our podcast the other day. And they said this was Kansas more times than we did in our podcast and it was nice to hear two guys that played for OU pretty much just as frustrated as we were and in a lot of ways more frustrated and I kind of want to talk a little bit about that podcast if it organically comes up later in this show if we if if we get there Teddy was fired up Teddy was um you could tell Teddy had I mean there was some anger in his voice that was uh was kind of surprising made me feel a lot better about some of my some of my rants for sure same Uh, you know it means just it means a lot coming from a guy who obviously played at Oklahoma, works the broadcast, the radio broadcast, knows his stuff, and played defense at Oklahoma. So he, he knows what he's seeing. Dan says he has a lot of them. I'll go with defense remains downfall. 
And lastly, on Twitter, Michael says, coaches aren't succeeding. Ouch. Let's go over to the West of Everest Facebook page. Tyler says, everyone overlooked Kansas. And Tyler has some context to his three-word review. He says, Oklahoma seems to regularly come out flat against KU, but I think being 7-0 and made them even more dismissive of the game and what they needed to do. Yeah, it's, there, there's no doubt they overlooked them. I think it's that's 100%. That's very clear. Yeah, yeah they, they went into that game not respecting the opponent whatsoever, which, I mean, is understandable from, from the human element, right? But just for the reasons why we explained on the last podcast, you know, if you're, you're a college kid and you're, you have a finite amount of college football in your life, you can't get up for any sort of game. You know, hey, I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand that at all. But maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm just, I'm so far removed from that age where, um, you know, I've, I've, I've just kind of forgotten how easy it is to sort of lull yourself into a sense of security like that. See, I agree with that. But if, even if you don't subscribe to that, a secondary reason why it just doesn't wash where like it's not an excuse is because why didn't uh, why didn't Texas Tech overlook Kansas? Why didn't Iowa State overlook Kansas? Why didn't Baylor overlook Kansas? Because it's Kansas. And even if even if they did overlook Kansas, all three of those teams beat the crap out of Kansas like it was no problem. So why do those teams and I said this on the last podcast a couple of times, why did those teams have zero issues with Kansas? Whether they overlooked them or didn't overlook them, and can uh, and, and Oklahoma legitimately could have lost to Kansas. So that's that's the main thing. The whole it uh, uh, yes, we get it. They overlooked them. Doesn't matter because other teams have done that potentially as well, and they had no problems. Tracy says very embarrassing win. He says Oklahoma isn't very good despite their record, and the defense is getting worse. I didn't think it was possible. Yeah, Tracy, I, you know, we talked about it a little bit. It's, it's stunning, uh, opening take. It's, it's stunning about how fast the defense has just regressed back to, nothing, I mean, worse than it was before Alex Grinch even got here. So, again, statistically. William on the West of Everest Facebook page says, why, Lincoln? Why? <laughs> uh, he also has a long note here. He says, and this is going to be, this is, this is good. This is kind of the fan perspective. William says, why do you do this to your fan base? Why isn't your team more motivated? Why did you change their weekly routine? William is referencing the fact that Oklahoma took last Monday off, and Bradley talked about that in the news conference the day after that. Why is the O-line weak? Why is the D-line regressing? I don't necessarily agree that the O-line's weak. I think the O-line is, is fine. It's not as good as it, it should be probably, but I think the O-line's fine. It's definitely been a lot better with Caleb Williams. It's funny what happens when like, you get a dynamic player in there that can do all the different things. It makes the offensive line better. Is there someone else we should ask? And this is more from William. He says, is there someone else we should ask? You're the coach. Come on, Lincoln. Tell us why such a talented roster can be such a disappointing team. And he ends it with saying, harsh I know, but damn. And, you know, that's... I mean, William's a fan. He's a fan of OU football. He's frustrated. And, you know, we have no power. We have no control over what happens within that locker room, what happens on the field. And Lincoln Riley does to some extent. And the players do too. So I, I get it. You know, it, it's frustrating. It's the, the team is 8-0, Grant, but we talked about it a lot last podcast. It's frustrating. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, this is not sustainable at this point. 9-0, 10-0, 11-0, playing like this, probably not going to happen. That's kind of the whole point. I've gotten messages from my friends this week. Um 
like sending me like screenshots of tweets from I was like there's that Twitter account that kind of takes like screen caps of like crazy message board stuff and uh, you know OU fans have been uh, have been a you know fixture on that this 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 past week um, just kind of sending me stuff like OU's eight no what's the deal like why is everyone so upset um, and like all I can say is just like ah, I mean you just don't you don't get it I guess I mean it's just kind of there's something about like. I don't know. There, there's there's a PTSD element of it for OU fans, and it's just different. You know, once you get to the different tiers of college football, it's all relative. It's all relative. Like this is, I tried to go in and, and try to explain to them that you know this season has literally been circled since like 2017 as like their best chance in a long time of winning a national title. And then yeah, they are eight no, but their schedule up to this point has been a joke. I mean, it's been a really easy schedule. Um. And they just haven't looked impressive. At, at no time, really, this season have they looked very impressive at all outside of the second half against Texas and on offense against TCU. And that, I mean, that's, that's it. And in a season that, that a lot of people had kind of built up in their minds as the season. And you got to think, I mean, what, I mean, yeah, you know, poor us, all of the Big 12 championships, you know, all of the wins, the seven national titles, not winning one for 21 years sucks. It's just, it's, you know, once you get it, you want it more. You want more of them. Um, and there's a, there was a lot, there was a new generation of OU fans that, that 2000 season, that was their very first intro to OU football. Um, and since then, it's just been, it's just been just out of grasp, out of reach. Um, yeah. And once, <laughs> when you get to the point, when you get to the point where it's, it's a big part of your life, and I think everyone listening to this podcast would agree that OU football is a big part of their life, it just, it gets, it just feels weird and doesn't feel great when when it's disappointing is all. It's disappointing. And when and you see other programs seem like they kind of figure it out. I mean, I don't think a whole lot about LSU in terms of college football history and and outside of uh, you know the 2019 team being so awesome. I, I don't think of LSU much of like as like a, a champion or like awesome. But I guess I mean they've won it what three times in the last. 20 it, they, years they've won three national titles since 2003 yeah and like lsu and yeah, like, speak for yourself historically I, I think about lsu far too often i hate lsu that is no. that should be that should be a program that every college football fan base is like in agreement and is 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 joined in their hatred that 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 program sucks that is the that is that is the most fortunate program fortunate athletic program in the country by far. Uh, I think LSU right now is listening to you rip on them and say, hey, man, they hate us because they scoreboard. hate us. No, they're saying scoreboard. They're saying, oh, yeah, no, those three <laughs> those three rings since your last one fit really nice on this finger. Yeah, I don't care. Whatever. It's it's Your program's a dumpster fire, and everybody knows it, and you guys luck in the national championships <laughs> because of where you're located geographically. All right, more on the West of Everest Facebook page. Three-word reviews from Hunter. He says, they don't understand, exclamation point. And his explanation for this is they have, and I believe he's talking about the players, they have all the physical tools to be great. They just don't seem to know what they're doing. No football IQ. By the way, I appreciate you guys. And I think I said this the last couple episodes or one of them. Uh, it, if, you, you know, if you want to explain your three-word review, go for it. And you guys are. So thanks for that. Because sometimes... Sometimes we read them and we're like, we get it. But other times we're kind of like, I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, Jay says, why fourth down? 
He also adds, speaking of why is most of Caleb, speaking of why, oh, oh I get it, okay. So, like, wh- why, uh, why is Oklahoma having to convert these fourth downs? I, I think that's kind of what he's getting at. It gets Kansas. Uh, and Jay says, speaking of why, why is most of Caleb Williams' super plays coming on fourth down? Is first down through third down on Lincoln Riley's script, then fourth down is when Caleb Williams' backyard ball takes over? Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. I haven't thought about that. Well, there are some of us who thinks, you know, regardless of your opponent or whatever, you should, if it's fourth and short, you should go for it every time. That I would be one of those people. Harry says, road trip magic. Harry says, I've been to every game this year, home and away. And also, yep, I saw Harry and Lawrence. So good to see you, Harry. So yeah, I can vouch. He's he has been. To, he he's been more games than me. I, I missed hey, uh, like, I missed the Nebraska game. Props to the props to the fans who actually went to that game. Like I mean, what a what a miserable trip. I mean, Lawrence is a really fun town. So I mean, it was there was it was, there was probably some fun aspects of it. But yeah, I mean, I was hey, I like so I, I'm in Oklahoma right now and and will be for the foreseeable future. And you know, when I got down here, I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to all the games, even even the road ones. And then I go to the, I go to the three straight. I go to K State, Texas, and then and then TCU, and then I'm just like, oh god, I'm not freaking going to Kansas. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. That would have sucked. So you you treated Kansas exactly the way the players treated Kansas, Grant. How dare you? Unbe- unbelievable hypocrisy. Uh, hey, all, uh, hey, hypocrisy. All I, all I can do is own it, and then just and just work really hard during the week, and and be better on Saturday. That's all I can do. <laughs> That's that'd be a fun bit pretend like we're a player and I, yeah do our best uh, coach speak all right brad says let's talk heisman uh maybe you know you mentioned that after the tcu game but i suppose if you want to you know everyone talks about i know i think eddie brought it up on the sooner scoop podcast or i'm sure multiple people have brought it up maybe maybe it was carry on like the whole heisman moment thing <laughs> and i mean the the play by caleb williams taking the ball from kennedy brooks it's against Kansas, which is weird, but I mean that's something where if he ends up in New York for the Heisman, uh, that's definitely a play that we're going to see a lot of. Oh, that's going to yeah, be on the Heisman sizzle reel for play. sure, for yeah. sure. I don't know. Have you seen like and whatever? Like I, I, I don't really care about the Heisman as much anymore. If you know when when I know you guys up for it, then yeah, I mean I, I, I care about it. But I, I mean, have you looked at just like who like the favorites to win the Heisman are right now? I mean, it would be one of the worst Heisman winners. See, like we've seen in a long time. I mean, like I think Matt Corral right now is the Vegas favorite. Um, and like, hey, is he Matt, still the favorite? No. Yeah, Matt, Matt Corral's good. He's a good player. Like I, but like, man, geez, if he's Heisman Trophy type winner, like this is definitely one of those seasons where they should just give it to that the big defensive tackle from Georgia, who is who is clearly like the who was, <laughs> Jordan who was so Davis. famous and, and and noticeable that you don't know his name. Okay, uh, Jordan Maybe. Davis. Yeah, it's just like I mean, whatever. It's just like. I don't know what who you're gonna give it to Bryce Young. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm with you though. I, I mean, it's definitely it's shaping up to Caleb Williams at, at the very least getting invited and being there and having enough votes to be in New York, which is kind of. Well, I mean, insane. they're gonna have to win. They're gonna have to win in November for that to be the case. Shit, they, yeah. crap, man, they got to win on Saturday first. Yeah, they do. All right, Matt says so so bad, and then he has another one that's. That is, it's tough for us because you know this is kind of like before our time, but Matt says John Blake bad, and John Blake was there for a couple of seasons. What about uh, you know John Blake gets a bad rap? Why doesn't Howard Schnellenberger ever get a bad rap? I think he was only he there, was there only for, one, for year one year and he was five hundred, and they weren't good. 
they, they were like good. five and five, I think, or something like that. They started the season really good, and then they just cratered after that. And they lost to Kansas. I was at that game, by the way, my first OU game. It was one of the first time. Uh, it actually might have been no. It's it's not the last time they lost to Kansas. I want to say they lost to Kansas when John with John Blake. I think there they lost to Kansas in ninety like seven. The year before Stoops years, got yeah. there, I think they they lost to him. But poor John Blake. I mean, Howard Schnellenberger never gets like it's always John Blake bad. But I mean, Howard Schnellenberger was there for one year, and he had a lot of high hopes. And yeah, and unfortunately, by the way, I mean both those guys may they rest in peace. That's crazy how time flies. Um, totally derail this podcast with that. Uh, all right, so let's go to Justin. Justin says really lousy performance. Philip, um, playoff loss inevitable. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they make the playoff. Oh, dude, I would, I would love for them to get to the first round of the playoffs and lose this year. That sounds great <laughs> with what I've seen so far. I just, I used to be a big make the playoff no matter what, no matter if you lose. And I'm after, especially after last season, seeing them actually go out and, and win a game at the end of the season. I know it was a meaningless game, but going into offseason. Uh, and on a positive note, even though I guess now in hindsight it hasn't really mattered because the season's been so weird. But man, just those blowouts in 2018 and 2019 to Bama and LSU to end the year were just yeah, it sucked. Geez, but like, man. But also, I don't really have I have zero reverence for that Cotton Bowl last year. I don't I don't care about that game like at all. It was first like OU's defense didn't play very well against Florida's backups, um, and Florida didn't care. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I would much rather, which is kind of, that's where the non-playoff bowl games are going. People not really caring. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I know this is, this has been sort of a debate within the fan base a little bit. I mean, especially since the peach bowl. Uh, but I, I mean, de- definitely, I mean, I'm definitely on the side of, I'd much rather make the playoffs. Um, I, I just, I don't, I, I would much rather be at the show on the stage with, with some semblance of a chance. Um, that just yeah, I I think that's that's sure. just that's just much more significant to me. No, no, I, I get it, and I used I, I used to be right there with you, but I've I've kind of I've changed a bit. You know, I I, I might still be kind of there with you. I, I think the thing was with the Cotton Bowl last year, and the reason why I I get it, Florida didn't care, but everything about it was was great. Oklahoma took advantage of an opportunity. They did exactly what they were supposed to do going into the offseason in a positive way going into the next season, this season upcoming, doing exactly what they were supposed to do on that long winning streak and thinking, okay, boom, here we go. Here we go. And then it just now looking back is this season and they're eight and oh, but they have not been dominant at all. And they've just snuck by. It, it makes that cotton bowl kind of look more of like what it was just kind of like a every, whatever game. You know, every college football season is different. It, it really is. And so, Hey, like, I, I don't know. It, sure, but whenever you have like a lot of the same players and stuff, then it, there's carryover. I'm about to there's I'm about to inject some positivity, kind of, into the podcast here. Just sort of grant for one second, Grant. That's my name, Grant. For one second, <laughs> that there is that there are college football gods out there, and that they are cruel gods, and that this season kind of like the trade-off for OU finally getting over the hump and getting to that point is that it's just going to be a freaking miserable season for every for the entire fan base oh I mean I've I've thought about that I mean even going back before the defense was this bad I mean I guess whenever the offense was bad I mean because I think we may have we may have talked about that a month ago just like maybe the antidote to Oklahoma getting that eighth 
title is a season with which we're totally unfamiliar with and we, we don't see it coming. We're just like, what is happening? So yeah. And it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't at, at, you know, the same degree as which OU is struggling right now. But if you go and look at uh, Clemson's first uh, seven, eight games of 2016, the year they, they beat a seemingly unbeatable Alabama team in the national title. Uh, they had a lot of close calls against some pretty crappy teams, like a lot. Hmm. Go if you go, go and look at it. It's it's like I said, not as bad as as what OU has been through because they you know they they did blow out some teams, but they they definitely kind of escaped. They also lost to Pitt that season too. I remember that. Yeah, all right. A couple more on the West of Everest Facebook page from Mike. He says DBs avoid contact. Tim says Riley common denominator. Interesting. And finally, Trey says, new Superman play? Oh, interesting, because obviously the Superman play is Roy Williams and uh, back in the the Texas game, but now that Caleb Williams is Superman, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, nothing's ever going to really top the Roy Williams play, obviously. I mean, that's... The Roy Williams play is straight up... Insane. Is straight up the coolest defensive play I think I've ever seen in football. But I I like the creativity, though, from Trey. That's a a smart three-word review. I like that. By the way, he said new Superman play question mark. So he wasn't uh, saying for sure. He was just saying, hey, you know, let's talk about it. Thanks, everyone, for your three-word reviews. Sorry to not get to them last episode, but we got to them here. And that's a, an easy way for us to start out this podcast, kind of get the blood flowing. All right, let's move on to what is happening in Oklahoma football. And, man, it, it's all about the defense. My opening take, I went over all of the staggering Oklahoma defensive numbers over the last four games. I kind of want to get some more context of it, Grant. Uh, did you read my opening take, Grant? Yes, I did. All right, so I'll ask you, what is the, the most ridiculous or surprising stat that you saw from, from, from all of it? I mean, whether it's uh, you know, where Oklahoma was in 2018 and 2019 and 2020, or if it's just this season, what, what stood out the most to you? Well, I mean, obviously all this stuff about um, 2018 and how, I mean, just beat for beat i mean it's worse across the board but the thing that actually opened my eyes that made me just go like oh crap is when you were saying over the last four games they're giving up seven point seven point one yards per play and you basically saying that's kansas that's kansas's defense like that's 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 the biggest like oh crap thing to me and oklahoma uh, one of their games was against kansas (laughs) like it's not like it's 7.1 yards per play, and, they, and one of those games was against Kansas. And it was bad. It was not a good game, obviously. It's not like uh, you know, they, they just drubbed Kansas, but then were just horrible against TCU, Texas, and Kansas State. They were bad against all of them, with the exception of the second half against Texas. The last, I could do the math there, the last 14 of 16 quarters has been pretty bad from Oklahoma's defense. Uh, the havoc is just not there. They can't get anybody off the field. Explosive plays. That's that's kind of what I want to hit on. I, I knew there was something else that I didn't get into in the opening take. So the explosive plays thing, Grant. In the last four games, they've given up twenty-eight explosive that's a, plays. That's that's just that's a lot. That's that's, that's just an average of seven per game. That's just so many. That's that's so many. <laughs> seven twenty-plus yard plays allowed per game. I mean, that's, I mean, how many drives per game are there? 
look at nine, uh, ten, maybe. Texas Tech. I mean, Texas that's almost Tech, like one per drive. Texas Tech has had a lot of explosive plays this year. That's that's kind Have of they? that's Great. kind of kept their offense going at a lot of times this season. So can't awesome. wait. Fun. Sweet. So uh, explosive plays, and I want to talk about Alex Grinch here, and we talk about the history of it. His third year at Washington State overall, the stats were better than any other year he was there. And we can talk a little bit more in detail about that because I actually have some stats about the first half of that season in 2017 versus the back half of that season, which is a big difference. So even though the numbers overall were really good, there was, there was a dip, a rather large dip in the second half of the 2017 season for Washington State, which we're getting into the back half of the 2021 season with Oklahoma, and we're already seeing a, ma- a major dip. And I don't know if these numbers from Washington State can tell us anything, but I'll get to that in a second. But when it comes to explosive plays, this has been – we all hate explosive plays. I hate giving them up. And it's one of those things where, okay, with Alex Grinch's speed defense, speed D, the whole idea is that you get a lot of havoc, but, yeah, you might give up some on the back end because you're playing aggressive football. But when you look at Washington State when he was there, the year before he was there in 2014, Washington State gave up 71 explosive plays. All right? The next year, which was Grinch's first season, that number went down to 56. So he improved it with a more attacking, aggressive style defense. They gave up fewer explosive plays in his first year compared to the last year. The next season, it was 57 explosive plays. So just one more. So about the same. So it didn't get worse, didn't get better. 57's not bad. And then in 2017, it improved even more. It went down to 44. They only allowed 44 explosive plays in 2017 which is great. These numbers are really good when you compare them to Oklahoma. And here's the thing. Alex Grinch with explosive plays was pretty good to like middling to pretty solid at Oklahoma. Explosive plays have been there and they've been given up a lot no matter what the season. In 2018, before he was there, Oklahoma gave up 74 explosive plays, which is, is kind of similar. It's pretty close to Washington State the year before Grinch got there. Washington State in 2014, 71. OU in 2018, 74. Almost exactly the same. And remember, Grinch was able to improve, uh, improve Washington State in his first season by 15. 15 fewer, but in Grinch's first year at Oklahoma, 71 explosive plays. Only three fewer than the year before. So almost the exact same number. So explosive plays really didn't change at all from Mike Stoops, Ruffin McNeil, to year one of Alex Grinch. It was at an average of five per game. Remember, right now in the last four, they're giving up seven per game. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of close. In 2020, in year two, they gave up 51 explosive plays, which you're like, oh, that's, that's not bad. Remember, though, they played three fewer games. They only played 11 games. And on average, they allowed 4.6. So they allowed fewer on average, but it's 4.6 compared to five and then this season they're up to 4.8 explosive plays per game and this is like the very the trend line of college is bad football. it's the trend line is bad in the last four games because they weren't they weren't giving up a ton of them in the first you know the first three or four games of the season so no i mean it's right bad. yeah i mean that and yeah I, that that number of of 4.8 per game it was only three in the first four games it's up to seven in the last in the last four games. So I'm, I know this is a lot of numbers I'm throwing at you, and I get it. You might your eyes might be glazing over. The point is I'm trying to make is that 
at Washington State, Alex Grinch, the speed defense, was actually pretty good at preventing explosive plays. They were either the last season he was there, they were actually in the, in the top third of college football in not allowing explosive plays. And the other two years, they were kind of middle of the pack. Not too bad. But at Oklahoma, they've been at the very bottom of college football. We're talking like 112th in the nation, 94th in the nation. This season, 104th in the nation. So the explosive plays, despite the defensive improvement the last couple of years in the first four games of the season was there, the explosive plays have been bad. And so why have they given up? Why has there been more explosive plays at Oklahoma than at Washington State? Is it simply talent level? Maybe the defensive backs were better at Washington State? No, that can't be right. That doesn't make sense. Is it Big 12 versus Pac-12? I think that may actually be a big big factor. That's That's probably it. And so it makes you like one of the things that we probably at some point just glossed over a little bit when Alex Grinch was hired and we talked about it. We talked about Alex Grinch all the time in the offseason. It's like, what's the difference between coming from Washington State in the Pac-12 to Oklahoma and the Big 12? And the whole thought was like, yeah, the Big 12 is probably better offensively, but the types of recruits Alex Grinch is going to be able to get at Oklahoma are way better than the types of recruits he'll be able to get in Pullman and Washington. And... He Again, he has improved the defense statistically from 2018 and the first four games of this season. But the one thing he has not improved is explosive plays. Teams in the Big 12 have gotten explosive plays against Oklahoma every single year under Alex Grinch. And I'm not like, that's one of those things where it's, I, I feel like those are negotiable. Like if, you know, if, if, if a lot of explosive plays are coming, whatever, but if, if the trade-off is a lot of sacks and TFLs, I'm fine. And three and outs, I'm totally fine with that. That was our. That was always our argument in 2018. Was just play with your hair on fire. You're getting beat anyway. Let's get get guys off the field quickly and get it back to Kyler Murray. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I I don't. Jeez, it's yeah, so no, it's so that, bad that, right now. I it's that's a great point. No, that's a great point, and that transitions me to what I mentioned a little bit ago about the back half of Washington State in 2017. And by the way, guys, I did probably two to three hours of <laughs> Washington State, Oklahoma, under Alex Grinch defensive research for this podcast. So this is kind of you know, where all my notes are coming out on. And I, I hope this is interesting to you because what's going on with the defense right now is obviously really bad. And I was trying to find clues from pre- the, you know, the previous time Alex Grinch was at Washington State. And you look at his third season at Washington State, it's now his third season at Oklahoma. And I went back and looked and in 2017, his third year at Washington State, Washington State started 6-0 and and got to number eight in the country. And the defense through the first six games was great. They were giving up 275 yards per game, which is even better than Oklahoma was doing in the first four games of this season. Only 4.4 yards per play. Fantastic. Only allowing 17 points per game. They had 21 sacks in six games. 49 tackles for loss, which is really good. And they forced 15 turnovers. Those Washington State teams got way more takeaways than Oklahoma has gotten. So that was the first half of the year. But then the back half of 2017. So basically, we're kind of, we're kind of getting there at Oklahoma with Alex Grinch compared to what I'm about to tell you now at Washington State. So the latter half of Grinch at Washington State, the final seven games of 2017, which now we're at the final, I guess if you want to break it down into six and seven, we're in the final seven games we're in game three but you know we've only played eight games and it's four and four right now that are a pretty big difference point being the last seven games 
Alex Grinch's defense, it regressed from allowing 275 per game to 364 per game, almost 100 more yards per game. They regressed from 4.4 yards per play allowed to 5.6, more than a full yard, 1.2 yards in, of regression. Points per game went from 17 to 29. And this is where it gets interesting, though, is those numbers were all really bad. But even with uh, the defense regressing and not playing as well, giving up more yards and points, the havoc was still there. TFLs were down a little bit. They got 16 in, in the last seven games compared to 21. So down a little bit, but not Wait, too terribly. You mean talking different. about sacks? Sorry, sacks. My bad. Sacks. Sacks were down. A, good call. Good call. Sacks were down a little bit. 16 sacks in the final seven games, 21 in the first six games. TFLs, though, were about right on line with the first six games. They had 54 of them. And so overall, they ended up getting 103 TFLs that season, which is, is really good. And takeaways were really good. They got 13 takeaways, 28 total. So here's my, my point here is that even though the defense in the last seven games of Alex Grinch's Washington State tenure was not, not anywhere near as good as it was the first half of the year, and they were giving up more yards and more points, the havoc was still there. They were still getting a lot of TFLs. They were still getting a pretty good amount of sacks, and they were still getting takeaways. But the last four games at Oklahoma, when the yards per play, yards per game, points way up, the havoc has not been there. And that's a huge red flag, is that they were still able to get a bunch of havoc in Pullman, and it just, it just didn't translate. They just they couldn't stop anybody. Oklahoma can't stop anybody and can't, get any, can't even get any havoc. So I guess maybe, maybe the glass half full is that's an outlier, and is maybe if they start getting back to their early season havoc levels, then that'll turn everything around, I suppose, because I guess that maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way, Grant. Washington State had all the havoc in the back half of the season, and still the defense wasn't very good. So I guess in theory, Oklahoma could get the havoc back and maybe that'll turn things around. Yeah, but also, I don't know. I mean, I don't think the second half stats for Washington State are, are like that dramatic, though. It's nowhere near as dramatic as it as it is like right now. And like, I think that can be pretty easily explained. But I mean, Washington State in the first six games of their season, I'm sure they're playing an FCS team. I'm sure their non-conference schedule was terrible. Um, and then once you actually get into like the meat of your schedule, I think that explains a lot of it. And yeah, that was a that was a good Washington State team. I think I think best I think best half glass full interpretation right now is that you hope that Jalen Redmond getting back, DJ Graham getting back, DTY getting back is going to set off some sort of epiphany in the coaches in the coaching staff's head. And I'm just saying they need to identify their best 13, 14, 15 guys right now and stick with them. And ride or die with them. That, that's what needs to happen right now. They need to put their best guys out there to give themselves the best chance to win. Um, and I know, like, I know it's, and I know going back to the rotation stuff, whatever, that doesn't, that needs to stop. It, they need to find their best guys and they need to get out there. Period. Yeah. yeah okay. None of that stuff bothers me as much as everybody else. I, I don't care. Like, nobody's playing well. So, I mean, it, I know, but it's, I, it's, I guess if, if, if I, I really do think is there is something there to you can't play well if you're not out there consistently and playing with guys and communicating with guys okay. that some of the rotations and some of the combinations out there are downright goofy. Like okay. so, some of the guys so, who are out there together where it's just like, no, how about we go ahead and put let's put all the experienced guys out there at the same time. Let's see if they can figure it out. Let's see if they, you know, I, gotcha. I mean, 
It's, so the idea is that like the more snaps you get, you get more into a, okay. So they, you'll get more into the flow of the game and you'll play better. That's what you're saying. That's, like, that's for me, the it's theory. Like I, it, that's the theory. In yeah. my mind, in my mind, especially up front, maybe maybe not a linebacker, but up front as a defensive lineman, I just feel like there there's, there shouldn't be any sort of game flow. It's like if you're rested, you should be able to just fire off and be super impactful. I mean, especially no like, especially with the teams they're playing, just milking the clock and everything. There's there's no reason to rotate that much on the defensive line when when the other team is letting the play clock go go all the way down every single time. And I doubt yeah. Texas Tech is going to okay. do that, but if they're smart, they will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got Sonny Cumbie as an, as the uh, OC new head coach, and he's obviously an offensive guy, and he's he's going to have a good game plan. I mean, he knows Lincoln Riley really well. They're buddies. They coach together. <laughs> so uh, I think I think that's what Lincoln said the other day. So, uh, I believe, yeah. I mean, they would have been in the same quarterback room, I think, at Texas Tech. Um, I think Riley may be a little older than Sonny, a little bit. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I should have looked this up, but they're they're friends i mean they're friendly i mean he had a lot of really nice things to say about sonny cumby on tuesday and so you better know that sonny cumby knows lincoln riley well and so he's gonna uh which i guess they're not going against each other technically because it's offense versus offense i can pretty but, much uh, already see the i can already see the visual of sonny cumby coming in texas tech winning this game and then and then texas tech hiring sonny cumby like i i can i can see that already playing out in my ooh i you just made me think, like, would, if Texas Tech does win this game, is that just not the uh, the picture-perfect way for this team to get their first loss to, to a team that a lot of the fan base always kind of says, like, hey, you know, Lincoln Riley's been great, but at the same time, they can't get over the hump. It's almost like Oklahoma's Texas Tech plus. You know, they got more, better players, but they can't play defense. How just demoralizing would it be in this weird, bizarre season where they're scraping by that they're – perfect season would then be ruined by texas tech and then they and then and then their hair is on fire in november and they do their normal thing honestly if they lose to texas tech i feel like that's the most likely thing that would happen i don't even know i'm not gonna pretend to predict anything about this this season it's it's too it's too hard Uh, so you mentioned jalen redmond it's it's worth mentioning that it sounds like that sounds like I mean, Lincoln Riley said that he's expected to be available this week. So he w- he went out. He was in full gear, went through warmups. I saw him in Lawrence. So I, it sounds like like it's one of those things where Riley said he's expected to be available to play. So in my mind, how many snaps is he going to get? I don't know. I mean, is, is he fully healthy? Hopefully. I mean, he's missed the last five games. And if he is fully healthy and he can play his full complement of snaps, however much the coaches want him to. I went and did the math here, and how much is, is this Jalen Redmond, or how much of this is a coincidence, but it's worth mentioning. So Redmond hasn't played since the Nebraska game, week three. Oklahoma, in its first three games, when Jalen Redmond was available to play, had 13 sacks. In the last five games, OU's only had seven sacks. In Oklahoma's first three games with Redmond available, they racked up 27 TFLs. In the last five games... Oklahoma has 27 TFLs. So the numbers have, the Havoc numbers have decreased since Jalen Redmond has been out. Is that all because of Jalen Redmond not no. being there? No, 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 no. But I mean, it's a... Is it he's a, part he's of a, why he's not there? Yeah. I'm just saying, he, he's a dynamic player. He's very, very good. He is, he is an all-Big 12 type player if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. Um, he is a guy that the other teams have to account for. 
Um, and that's a big deal. And it also frees up Perion a lot of the time as well. Um, so no, I mean, Jalen Redmond being out there is, is a, is a really big deal. I, it's, I think it's unfortunate that the defensive line has kind of fallen off a cliff since he's gotten hurt. That kind of makes me question some other things. Um, but still, no, I mean, if you, he, if you he take, comes back and the defensive line looks great again, he's the MVP of the defense. Jalen Redmond is a, yeah, is a, is a very good to elite type player at the college level. And your it's your defense is always going to be better with those guys, so that's like that's kind of what I'm that's sort of what I'm hoping right now. If you can just get get Redman out there, get DTY back, get and so DJ Graham also playing corner, get Bowman back at nickel, then maybe it, it'll it'll stop being so like floodgates where it's just like every play is just it dialed up perfectly and they got like you know what I mean. Maybe they can get get back to the point where they're just average. Hey, I'd take, I mean, everyone would take average right now. No doubt about it. Okay, so let's get to Lincoln Riley's press conference. And I got some sound to play from Lincoln. And to me, this was the the biggest kind of like, that's surprising. I did not see that coming soundbite of the day. And it's only because I went back and I rewatched the Kansas game. I watched it back. And I, I saw with my own two, not, two eyes how bad everything was. And I mentioned earlier that after, after we recorded the podcast on Monday, I was curious to listen to the Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman podcast because I had heard that Teddy Lehman was pretty critical of the defense. So I, I wanted to listen. I don't listen to that all the time, but I, I wanted to tune in and listen to it. And by the way, Tracy, one of our listeners, sent us a message saying, hey, yeah, you guys should check out the Teddy Lehman podcast this week. He's, he's got some good stuff on it. So thanks for that. Uh, so anyway, so listening to Teddy, and, and he was super – critical of the defense and he was saying a lot of the same stuff obviously a lot more uh, precisely and more nuanced and I guess better than I could say it but a lot of the same things that I was saying just in a better way uh, because he's more knowledgeable about that side of the football and college football than I am but it was interesting to hear him say a lot of the stuff that you and I were kind of saying he saw a lot of the same stuff and so when I then heard Lincoln Riley talk about how when he watched the tape back and his thoughts on the defense after watching the tape back, it, it kind of made me, mm, well, let's just play it and you guys can listen. I left the Kansas game the other day, probably like a lot of people disappointed how we played defensively, especially obviously in the first half. All right. I get on the plane, we're flying home, I'm watching it, you know, calmer head. All right. Emotions kind of have, have run their course look at it saying, gosh, damn, we're close. You know, we're so close. Like, we're agonizingly close. And, again, the, the, the thing that the mistakes, the things, that have hurt, the things that have hurt us, the times when people have moved it for the most part, have been our errors. It's not just guys getting beat or guys not doing this or the capability not there. So you feel like it's very correctable. And I think then you add that with the anticipation of, listen, when you got four starters out, again, I don't care who you are. It's just – it's different. I mean, it just – it just is, and and with the anticipation of kind of building back up this roster, adding some key pieces, I can I can very clearly see this thing coming together. So I, that, that's where I sit on it. Um, uh, no doubt, our expectations there are incredibly high, uh, but I think we've got the group to reach it. I'll be very surprised if we don't. So my question then to you, Grant, is. Um if Teddy Lehman listened to Lincoln Riley's press conference on Tuesday, which I'm sure he did, 
Do you think Teddy, you know, if he was given some truth serum, do you think he would agree with Lincoln Riley after what he said on his podcast? You know, Lee, I can't uh, can't really say that he would. Um, but I also do have to say, what's what's our number one rule regarding Lincoln Riley and press conferences and when he talk? <laughs> and I, I'm dead serious. He's he's very clearly doing this to 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 keep his team together. Uh, he's not going to come out and say, "Yeah, it was awful. We got to get better." He's he clearly thinks that this this route of rhetoric is what's going to be best for the guys in the locker room at this at this point in time. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just have to take his word for it. He's 54 and 8 sure. as a college football head coach. I but but no, they're not close. They're not close. And actually, you know, you're you're going to play some sound here from Grinch too and you asked a really good question. You asked a great question to Alex Grinch. Um I don't know. Do you just want uh, can, oh, thank can we, you. Can we just go into that cuz I kind of have a I I have sort of a take on that. Um that that well, we definitely okay. need to talk about. Well, I, yeah, we're going to play that sound, but I did want to use this time though to talk a little bit about Teddy on that podcast. I, I mean, I, okay, because that's fine. Yeah. Cause just, I'm sure a lot of you probably listened to it. It was really interesting. And he brought up a lot of the same things that you and I brought up on the podcast before. And, and I had, again, I had listened to that podcast before we recorded the last one. So it's always nice for, you know, for me as, as a guy that never played college football to then listen to somebody like Teddy Lehman, and he's seeing a lot of the same stuff I was. I mean, when it comes to the corners, the corners, bad technique, bad foot. And he did a lot more precisely explain it. Bad footwork with Billy Bowman and Latrell McCutcheon and the way his hips worked and the, his read steps and coming out of the breaks the wrong way. It, it, uh, he talked about the, the touchdown, the last touchdown, where he, he never says anybody by name, and that's just probably a college football thing. He doesn't want to call anybody out. He'll just say, oh, yeah, we, we, we got a nickel doing this which is fine, whatever. He was talking about Justin Broyles. This is the one we talked about where Justin Broyles just turned and started sprinting towards the deep, the deep half of the field like he was playing cover two. And Teddy said, I promise you, there's, that's, not a, like, that, that's not a play. That's not a coverage. Like, he was so confused by that. And you know, I was doing my best thing like, well, he's going to a deep, a deep half like he's playing cover two. I guess maybe he's trying to do that. And Teddy was just straight up like, I don't know what that is. Like, he didn't, because it's not that. That's how confused they were, and they're not getting to the right spot. And the biggest thing that that I enjoyed that Teddy brought up, and I'm paraphrasing a lot. I may not be doing the best job of explaining what he said. And again, I assume a lot of you probably heard the podcast. I like that Teddy straight up pointed out that it seems like these guys situationally a lot of the times don't seem to understand what the opposing offense is trying to do. Uh, he brought up how frustrated he was that Oklahoma could not figure out how to stop the the zone read in the first quarter and he was calling it something else like I, I can't remember what he was calling it split zone but he kept talking split zone yeah and he, he was talking about he remember I told you that it was always a tight end pull on the back side he kept talking about that tight end pulling around and how Oklahoma just could not get anybody get the right people to each gap and there was one time where he he kind of maybe explained or I guess shed some light on what I was asking about the edge players in Oklahoma's defense about aren't they supposed to just set the edge but Teddy was saying that on those plays where he was seeing you know the the tight end h-back start pulling around that during the play the players then should be switching their gaps during the play and he said like some guy should be going from you see a guy motioning to the backside then you should know that you're not going to be in the c gap now you got to go to the b gap and they got to just keep going down and down and down so somebody then gets to the the c gap on the other side toward the edge is full and 
that was confusing to me. And that's one of those things where I guess I just, I am limited in my knowledge on that stuff. The only thing I could think of was Teddy made it seem like it was very easy. So maybe it is when it comes to linebackers and defensive line in the front seven. But to me, that seemed really complicated. No, he kept saying, he, he, he kept saying the split zone concept that Kansas was running is the most basic play that everybody has in their playbook. And he said it's literally the easiest play to stop in football. Okay. Yeah, he, he did say that. And so that's what makes it even more ridiculous that Oklahoma could not stop it. And I, I enjoyed that Teddy said something like they had already ran it about, I can't remember the number he said, but they had ran it about 100 times. <laughs> and so, like, I guess that was just confirmation for me. And this is just me, like, mentally. Pump just yourself up, man. Do this. it. Just do well, it. Because, like, it, it's good to get confirmation <laughs> that I'm not a moron. I, I was seeing that same stuff. Again, Teddy Lehman's going to explain it better than me because he knows more about it than I do. But again, I was seeing that, and so did he, and that's what happened, and he was mad about it, and so was I. So I guess hopefully you all, you listen to this podcast, you like what we're giving you. Hopefully you trust us. Hopefully that's some confirmation that, okay, not all the time, but a lot of the time we, we can give you some good stuff, and there's a lot of people on this beat that know their stuff. Don't get me wrong. I just... I wanted to point that out, and it just makes it even more ridiculous that Lincoln Riley wants to tell tell us that they're close. Because my joke the last day or two has been, uh, they're. I mean, because Teddy kind of referenced how like there was like some day one type fundamental type stuff where he was just he couldn't believe how lost they looked at every level of the defense. And that's my thing is like they're 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 close. They're they're close to what playing their first game ever as football players. And that's what it looks like. I mean. I, they're not close to being a good defense. Not not anywhere. I mean, that's not that's not what the Kansas tape showed. We're a, like I mean, I said it on the last podcast. Where you take the last four games as you know as you know that's how it is. They are they have made zero progress from the day that Ruffin McNeil left the program after that Orange Bowl. If if you take the last four games, I mean, it's it's regressed to that point. And so, and I think what a lot of and then you know when a lot of people get frustrated when they talk about injuries and stuff like that one it was kansas and 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 two it's just like which, you know which teddy and gabe said about a thousand times yeah and, and and two it's just like but i don't know should it should it really fall that far off of a cliff like if the if 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 no. like if the culture that they're trying to install if it's if it's taking if it's holding like i i don't know i i don't think you have the sound clip of it but in um the 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 sound bite that that jumped out to me the most when Alex Grinch was talking on Tuesday was that one of the things he said was, he says, I see on tape uh, a, a lot of willingness to be blocked um, on, you know, on defense, guys who are willing to be blocked. He said that, I mean, he straight up said that. And I think everyone who has watched them in the last four games, but actually, honestly, this entire season would clearly agree with that. Where I get concerned is that a lot of the times that's just being good at football. Or being not good at football, um, and so yeah, we're we're gonna go into the stuff about whether or not it's correctable and stuff like that because we got a, a good clip from Alex Grinch saying that it definitely is, uh, but I got something to say to that, so take it away. All right, so yeah, I asked Alex Grinch a question because Lincoln Riley talked about in his press conference, and you heard him earlier. He thinks it's correctable, and the thing that he's kind of banking on, it seems like right now, is that. The issues in the defensive backfield and just defense in general, they are fixable. And also getting the guys back that are injured is going to be the thing. It's, 
and that's going to kind of give them a spark, and that's kind of what he's hoping for. That's how I read that press conference because Lincoln Riley went back to that a couple of times when he was asked about the overall thoughts of the defense. And so my, and, and at one point, Lincoln Riley was just saying like, hey, uh, defensively, at times, we've been serving it up on a silver platter for these teams. And you texted me, you know, when Riley said that, saying, wow, Riley just basically acknowledging that they're giving away easy yards. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And so I asked Alex Grinch, using what Lincoln said, that, hey, he says that there's some errors that are fixable. And at times, offenses are being, you know, having it served up on a silver platter. And I went in to ask him, really, is this, is this all correctable? And so uh, here's the last part of my question. And it's kind of a long answer by Alex Grinch, but they all are. And then it sounds like, Grant, you have something to say after this. I'm curious, these errors that Coach is talking about, I'm sure you're seeing as well, nine weeks into a season, are they really that fixable at this point, knowing that you guys don't have a whole lot of time? you got a buy coming up, but you mentioned earlier that, hey, I mean, the scheme's in, you got to play better. How, how fixable are they really? No, a thousand percent they're fixable. They absolutely are. You know, now, now – you know, if you look at it and say, okay, you got, you know, four starters out on defense, you look at, okay, are we, number one, as a coaching staff, am I looking at my, my practice time saying, okay, we, we we're down four guys, we can't lose five and six. So are we practicing in a certain way that we're too tentative? And I accuse myself of that. You know, you come off of a COVID year where we should be, you know, I feel like an expert at trying to jockey, getting through practices and making sure guys are still prepared, the necessary amount of work, not too much that you put them at risk. You know, nine straight weeks, and again, you feel like you're an expert. I'm clearly not, right? That's that's the the, the, the proof uh, where, where we find find ourselves right now. Three, which of those guys are on the secondary? Where we can't lose in our secondary play, or we spend too much focus on that. You know, some true freshmen they got to step up, and then at the same time, that true freshman steps up. You know, why why is that 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 senior leader not leading? And why are we not playing better at that particular spot? Or are we, we pointing fig, fingers throughout the course of the game? And I believe if you blame someone else, they have a tendency to uh, kind of be on the wrong side of the next time out. Um, and so some of that has taken place. I think, like I mentioned, some, some guesswork at times. And maybe that's guys trying to be too perfect. Um, and so it's, it's everything. When you play bad football, it looks like bad football. When you play good football, it looks like good football. But, um, no, I think it absolutely is fixable. You know, but you got to go do it. You know, it, it, you've got to do it on stacked days over the course of the week. You got to make sure that uh, you're motivated to play your best football on, on, on Saturdays. You got to make sure that you have a resolve that one play doesn't turn into two. It's all those things. You got to you got to believe something good's going to happen. You got you got to believe that uh, most importantly that you're going to go make something good happen. And you're going to do it within the structure of the scheme. You're going to do it effort. Um, no, I, I think uh, we're extremely confident that that uh, one is fixable and two will get it fixed. And before you go, Grant, I just want to clarify in case it didn't come across well on my question. Uh, the big part of that was I said, hey, you're nine weeks in. Is there really enough time? Or it, are, it, are these things really fixable given that you know, not, there's not a whole lot of time left in the season? And that was his answer. So and, what were you thinking? And here, here's where I want to get into this because, you know, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley, they're going to say what they, what they have to say. Like, they're, they're coaches. Of course, they're not going to come out and say, like, no, I mean, it's not. It is what it is. Like, they would never say that. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad you asked the question. And I'm glad that you posed the question in the context that you did. Whereas, like, hey, man, like, we're, it's about to be November. Like, is this stuff actually, can you actually fix it? Because then I would come back and say, the history of professional, or uh, the history of college football, the history of just sports in general, tells us no, they can't. And if, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible it's happened before, like teams have turned it around, 
but those I mean those are just massive outliers. It doesn't I, I, I kind of feel like once you get to this this deep into the season, any sort of just like radical improvement, there's maybe like a team or two per season you can point to where that happens. But no, I mean, once you get into eight games of the year, you are who you are a lot of the times. So I and I don't again, you know, going back to the glass half empty type type deal. Um, it doesn't the outlooks aren't good. If they turn this thing around and they're and they're like a halfway decent to good defense by by Bedlam in November, that would be I mean, relative to the history of college football, that would be a hell of a turnaround. It would be really unprecedented. Um, unless Again, unless Jalen Redman, DTY, and DJ Graham, I'm Woody Washington. I'm not expecting him back, um, unless those guys are just are just studs. And and I I think Jalen Redmond is. Um, I don't know, man. I I just I really do, I I think there's some small tweaks that you can make to help out your offense, who is going to need to carry the team. But no, I mean, there, there's the, them being the defense that we thought they were going to be, that they need them to be. To that's not going to happen. That's not realistic. It's just it will not happen. And so you said they are who they are. You're eight games into the season. It's week nine, and I tend to agree with you. The interesting thing about Oklahoma, and I'll bring a little bit of positivity to it, is it, it's been two different seasons. Currently, they're awful. The last four games, the last half has been awful. The first half was not that bad when they had some of these guys healthy. So I guess you said that in the history of college football, teams making those adjustments and fixing those issues and becoming a better defense this late in the year are outliers. Maybe this is a team that's set up to be one of those outliers considering the last two seasons, Alex Grinch has improved this defense. They got better from 2019 to 2020. They started the season looking pretty good. I know the competition, they had an FCS team in there, but against Nebraska, that was actually Oklahoma's best havoc game of those first four. They had five sacks, I think, and 10 TFLs against Nebraska, who was probably the best team they played in those, those first four games. You get Jalen Redmond back. You get, obviously, DJ Graham. Hopefully, he should. I, I have no reason why he shouldn't be back against Texas Tech. You get Delarian Turner Yell. Hopefully, he's back, and, and these guys stay healthy. Yes, Woody Washington, again, don't expect him back anytime soon. You know, maybe this is the the recipe to be one of those outliers if I want to go ahead and be a, a little bit of a sunshine pumper for now. What do you think about that? Uh, I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a sunshine pumper. I mean, go for it. I mean, yeah, it's it's always better to be positive. That's just going to be better for your mental state of mind just in general. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. I, I Hey, I could point to, you want to look at 2017, that season after Bedlam, they kind of they kind of stabilized a little bit after Bedlam that season to kind of let them go on a, on an impressive run in November where they kind of kicked the crap out of everyone. Um, but then of course, you know, when they went up against Georgia, it was all of their, all of their problems were just, were just magnified and were, were picked apart relentlessly. Um, that definitely didn't happen in 2018. They got worse as the season went on in 2018. It's, it seemed like, um, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what would be a good example of a team just like making that much of a turnaround, and I, I can't like going from being as bad as they've been lately to being good. I just, I think that's a huge stretch unless something changes. I'm trying, what, 2017, the tweak was essentially Trey Norwood in 2017, um, which is, I just kind of funny thinking back on it now. Um, 
What what's what's the tweak now? They they have to do something. They have got to do something. Though like the, one of the things about Alex Grinch's answer and that long that long-winded answer that sort of concerns me is that after he told you it's 1000% correctable, the next minute he was speaking it was all word salad. None of it made sense. It came from nowhere. He didn't know what he was talking about. He was just trying to fill the space with words. Um I, I hope that's not because he's just kind of at a loss of words and doesn't know what to do. You have to do something. Like it's we're at this point where yes, you do need to make radical like you have to make some sort of radical decision. Like it, it's you're getting into the nitty gritty, man. Like I mean, it's not the urgency level's got to be high. You can't you can't just keep you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again running the same people out there. I think I think that's that's a big part of why people are upset too. I've got it. I've got the answer. I've got the solution. You blitz every single snap. Just send the house, zero blitz, nobody in the back end. Heck, it already feels like there's nobody in the back end anyways. Just send everybody. Zero blitz, nobody back. Hey, if there's a guy not covered, whatever. Oklahoma's not covered guys a lot anyways this year. Just send the house. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to send the house. Or is it possible that they could potentially get a 12th guy on the field and slip that by everybody? Gosh, that would be Maybe sweet. Maybe play with 12 men. That'd be sweet. I, I mean, mm. would they even know what to do with the 12th guy? Where to put him? <laughs> <laughs> like, where would you put him? Would you put him in the box? Would you put him as an extra safety? That's really like, what would you? That, it, well, it depends on who that 12th guy is. But I suppose they're pretty deep on the defensive line. Just put him on the defensive line. But... <laughs> But, like, I guess I don't know, and it goes back to the whole, like, you know, showing the willingness to be blocked type deal. I think, I, I think a lot of people would agree that that is mostly seen in the, in the defensive secondary. I, I don't know how you coach guys to be more physical this late into the season. I, I like, the, what, what do you do about the lack of physicality? Like, you, you hope that D, DTY is a pretty physical guy. You hope that that helps him coming back. But what I... You gotta you you have to get some physicality there, especially on the edge. Um, and so like that's you know them still kind of them them rolling out Jaden Davis every night. Like he's just he's not physical. He's, it's easy to push him around. Like I mean, it's there's a lot of easy pickings right now, and he's on the field on the edge. You know, and that's 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 one example. That's one example. Well, well, here's what's happening, and this has been I think steady in Alex Grinch's defense since he's been here. They don't really ask their corners to be helpers and run support. Their, their corners are pass first, defend the pass. And it's gone to the extreme, especially against Kansas when they're playing six, seven yards off the ball. And so a lot of the times you'll see guys, because there's a lot of man coverage in Oklahoma, and they're just playing straight man, and it's a run play, but they're, they're playing man, so they're on their guy, and they don't know it's a run play until it's too late. And you know, it's up to the other nine guys on the field to know that it's run and come out and help, come down and help. And so that's what I've seen. I, I, I mean, obviously, it's a bonus if they're helping in the I'm run I'm more game, worried about, they, in, that, in that context, I'm much more worried about jet sweeps and wide receiver screens. Okay. So they can readily identify these plays. They should be able to see them pretty much right at the snap, and they're still having problems they getting can't get away off the from blocks. guys, getting off of they, blocks. They cannot gotcha. get off blocks. Yeah, that's because I was what I was getting to is that it's easier to be blocked whenever you're basically playing pass, but it's actually a run play, and... And that's where I get concerned carry, because yeah. because not being able to get off blocks is more of a being good at football thing than it is like a scheme thing. And so that's where I'm just kind of like, ah, crap. 
Yeah, what it's do you a do? mixture of making sure that you're not putting yourself in a bad spot. You can be slippery. You can get away. Um, you got to be physical. Sure. Being, I mean, being physical is you one can't of the care about your body. About like, I mean, it's that's kind of how it how it how it works a lot of the time. But it also helps to just be football savvy and watch tape and read your keys. And uh, a lot of people I, I, I heard Teddy give Key Lawrence some some praise for he was kind of playing fast in that game and he seemed like to be the only one that kind of knew what they were doing or was confident in their reads and again I, I think Pat Fields is fine he just he really just doesn't find himself around the ball much I don't maybe that means he's not playing well I don't know uh, but uh, just more of that I mean more confidence in what you're seeing and, and that's that's what's so frustrating and alarming about a lot of what we're seeing in the secondary is that a lot of these guys look like they're not confident and they don't know what to do <laughs> and it's eight games into the season so it's like, why are you not confident, and why do you not know what to do, especially against Kansas? I think especially uh, in a game. Yeah. I still think Fields being kind of absent in that regards is still because I, I I still think they're expecting him to to fill the DTY role of coming down into the box and helping in the run game, which I it, it really feels like that's what he's been doing a lot of the time. So um, who knows, man? Maybe when DTY comes back, it just I mean things will get better. I I'm sure things will get a little bit better. I just I. They're just they're just they're not being so. put in good spots. They're not being good. It's just it's all bad. It's all bad. Uh, let's go and talk a little bit Texas Tech. OU home two thirty. I'll be at the game. You going to the game this week? I haven't decided yet. It's okay. It's one of those things where I'll I'll probably decide on Friday night if I go or not. Okay, just wondering. OU a nineteen and a half point favorite. Everyone obviously knows that Matt Wells is out. Sonny Cumbie is the interim head coach. So, I mean, that's interesting, but I mean, Texas Tech's offense is going to be fine. I mean, that's what Cumbie does. Just you know, talking to Jeremiah Hall on Tuesday, he was asked because after the Kansas game, he, he was he was pretty good. He said, listen, like he was asked about why you guys came out so slow and lethargic and basically that question. He said, yep, it, it, there's no excuses. I'm going to address that with my team this week. All right. He left it like that. And so he was basically asked, you know, what have you done this week to, or what have you guys done to, to make up for it and play better and make sure you don't come out lethargic? And he said that, well, first off, and he said, no disrespect to Kansas, but we played down to Kansas. Like, all right, wow, I can't believe he actually said that, but he did. Because uh, Kennedy Brooks also kind of said that after the game, too. He said, yeah, we played down to our competition. So the guys didn't mince words. And Jeremiah said that so far this week, and we talked to them after just two practices, but he said so far they've emphasized competition. They made it like a fall camp mindset, like they're back to being 0-0, and he thought they did a pretty good job of it on Tuesday, and they just got to make sure they're out throughout the rest of the week that that type of fall camp competition-type mindset carries over to Saturday, and that's the, the way that they're not going to come out looking unprepared and lethargic against Texas Tech. How about so I just wanted to bring that up because that's that's the solution they decided to use. How about not coming out lethargic and crazy, you know, because you're a top three team in the country and you're eight and zero, and you're playing college football? I know, man. It makes you wonder. I, I, I'm sure the coaches do everything they can to get these guys to pay attention. It's at some point, you know, you're you're 18, you're 19, you're 20, you're 21, and we were all there at some point. And some everyone's different. Some people get it. Some people don't. And no matter what you say, there's going to be guys that don't get it. And that's got to be what's happening at not just Oklahoma, but all the way around college football, just because these are teenagers for the most part. I think it's it's, it's frustrating. The, fun, the funny thing, too, is that like they've 
like this group of guys too has shown in in a bunch of different areas and a bu- of them with their backs against the wall and them responding really well. And I'm talking about this season. I'm like last season, I mean they went they started one and two and then they won eight in a row to end the season. Um and they came out and they were fired up for pretty much every game except for that Baylor one. And you know, I it's you see what they they were never down against Texas. You hear them all they were all just still focused on winning that game and have they weren't panicking. So this like this team has some sort of juice. There's something there. And I just like I don't it's I'm at a loss of words. Yeah, that's why it's so it frustrating. Because there's so many guys on this team that was on the team last season that went through all of that hardship in the first three games. And we talked about it during the offseason. How much of their preparation and their motivation this season is thinking back to those losses and like man that we were so mad and basically our season it wasn't over at that point but they had no chance to win a national title and they responded and they went on to win a big 12 title and so that's why another reason why we were so excited about this season because they had that 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 failure and a lot of the same players were back this year and the the hope was that hey we know that you can't start slow because you could lose and they've used it a couple of times this year. Like, hey, you know, like we, I remember Spencer Rattler after the first couple of games. Hey, at this time last year, we were one and two, and now we're three and oh. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. But to your point, every season's different. <laughs> like, I mean, you guys were supposed to be three and oh this year, and you guys were supposed to be dominating, and you're not. So it was a whole different kind of thing. And so that's another reason why it's been so annoying and frustrating is because this team has shown us the ability to kind of like get it the majority of last season after they fell down one and two and then it's almost like they just forgot all about that going into this year and it is pain as annoying as it is it's like is it gonna have to take a, another actual loss for this team to to really snap into focus and actually truly have their backs against the wall for them to to really perform up to the highest level possible every single game and if so why why, man? That's the difference say, between yeah, Oklahoma and an actual like national championship caliber type team. It's just yeah. It's I mean any sort of theory from as just speculation, and I, I have no idea at all. It's just like it's it's right, one of those things where it's, it's one of those things where he's just like I mean it's it's like obviously you point the it's the coaching staff, but the coaching staff is fifty four and eight at Oklahoma. Is it fifty four? I thought Lincoln's won fifty three. Is it? I looked up his coaching record last night. I think it's fifty three. It, my, uh, oh no, my. I, I mean, it, I I just may be wrong, and now I'm now I'm scared that I just jinxed everything. Uh, oh, you're right. No, I mean, it, they were forty five and eight going into this year, and they're only they're eight and zero, not nine and zero. So yeah. Oh, you're just assuming wins now. No, just I wasn't assuming, assuming wins. wins. Wasn't assuming wins. I was just, and that's why I'm that's why I'm scared now. All right, so he was 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 9 and 2, 8 and 0, and that adds up to 53 and 8. But uh, where it matters the most, 1 and 3 in bowl games. 1 and 0 in non playoff games. Uh, All right, so what do you got in this Texas Tech matchup? Because I'll be honest with you, Grant, I got basically nada. I, I didn't. I didn't do a lot of text uh, on Texas Tech, and I. I honestly don't think it's that dumb to just kind of dis- not disregard everything that's that's happened before, because I think they're going to come out with a lot of weird stuff. I would assume on Saturday, uh, with Sonny Cumbie and stuff that just that has not been on tape. 
but of course, you know, they can't do everything brand new. Um, so I don't know. The, the, the thing that actually interests me the most about this Texas Tech team is their defense because they've been extremely Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I think their offense is, is kind of what it is. Their, their offense is good. It's, it's competent. There's, they run a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick hitter, short stuff. Um, they got some, they got some good weapons. Roderick Thompson, Eric, uh, I can never pronounce his name. Uh, Ezu Kanma. I, I just, I can't, I can't pronounce that name quickly. Um, I, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very likely that Texas Tech is going to be able to move the ball and score points in this game with some degree of regularity. Um, what's interesting is Texas Tech's defense, who really, for the most part, has been good to extremely good in f- like five of their eight games this year. And in the other three, or two of those other three have been downright atrocious. And then in that third one, we're just not, just not very good. So, wh- who, what what version of the Texas Tech defense are you going to get? I mean, they've been completely shredded, giving up nearly ten yards per play against the two best offenses they've played this year, TCU and Texas. Uh, but really, Lee, they they've they've done well virtually against everyone else. Yeah, I mean they they should have beaten Kansas State last week. They I know they were up big and they blew it. And that's what got Matt Wells fired. Kansas State's offense isn't great. I mean, they held Kansas to 14 points, Grant, and it was 41 to nothing with a minute to go in the game. So that uh, I mean, they held good. Houston right now. I think Houston is Houston's either six and one or seven and one. Their only loss is to Texas Tech. Yeah. Houston only had th- yeah. 3.4 yards per play against Texas Tech. Really? Holy cow! 3.4. That's really good. Holy cow! Well, yeah, Matt yeah, Wells like, is keeping everything together on the defense. Yeah, straight like uh, Houston straight like snapped it seventy five times in that game and only had like two hundred and sixty yards. Dude, so I I don't and here here's the deal against against offenses with like a legitimate pulse the teams have gotten whatever they want wanted on Texas Tech and I'm speaking mostly of Texas and TCU. Um, I mean, gee, the that first half Texas against Texas Tech was just. I, I mean, oh my God! I mean, it was just it was pitch it was pitch and catch. Everything was working, and then if you go and you watch their game against against TCU, um, that TCU was getting whatever they wanted on the ground, and they were they were breaking off big, big plays. plays. Yeah, yeah, and I mean they were running all over them. It was all through the run. Uh, I mean Zach, uh, help me out, Zach, Zach Evans. Uh, Mar- <laughs> I always want to say Zach Martin. <laughs> Apparently, to me, there's only one Zach in football, and that's Zach Martin. An offensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys. The left Zach guard Evans. for the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's the left guard. Yeah. Well, there's a tackle. I don't know. doesn't matter. He might be. I don't but, know. I mean, Evans, Evans didn't even play the second half, and it was, it was all Kendra, Kendry Miller in the second half, and it didn't matter. They just gashed. They just gashed Texas Tech in Lubbock. Uh, yeah. So That guy's good, though. Kendra Miller's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no they're definitely good. So yeah, sorry, I don't have much on Texas Tech. I really have nothing. Um, it's I was gonna well, say it's yeah. They're they're gonna get yards. They're gonna get yards. They're gonna score points. And the question is, can Oklahoma score enough? It's super super generic and the lowest common denominator. But I'm sorry, that's the handicap at this point for this game. This game is all OU. It's it's O it's OU. What what OU is gonna show up? I mean, that's 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 what it is. 
And, you know, I mean, if it's if it's the same OU defense that showed up the last four games, I Texas Tech and Sonny Cumbie, they're going to know exactly what to do with that. They're going to have plenty of stuff for that, I'm sure. Um, and Oklahoma I, can can absolutely lose this football game. Oh, if that's the case. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I hope and this is going to be a team that is that's that's going to be fired up, I'm sure. Um, I just, yeah, I hope DJ Graham is back so he can be on, uh, as a Kanma. Kanma. Gosh, I can't, I'm going to need to like, just listen to somebody actually just pronounce that perfectly over and over and over again. Let's call him Ezzy. What up, Ezzy? I, it's probably, probably not his name. I mean, some people might call him that. That's, it's kind of an easy one, but uh yeah, I mean it's everyone has some it, sort of shortened name. Yeah, but you know Texas Tech is it, you know ironically they fire Matt Wells and I mean this is he's they're much better than they were his first two seasons there. Um which I it's and but I, there must have just been something internally there that just wasn't working. Um for them to to fire him mid-season like this when they're 5 and 3. It's it's got to be something along the lines of trying to get a head start on the coaching search and I haven't done any research on this, but isn't, I mean, I, I, maybe it's a rumor at this point. I don't know, but like there, maybe Art Bryles or Kendall Bryles is kind of on there. Even though I know Kirby Hokut said he wants somebody that has strong Texas Tech ties. And I don't think either one of those guys have Texas Tech ties. So uh, Lincoln Riley? <laughs> is Lincoln going to go? <laughs> Mike Leach? Uh, it's almost yeah. like, you know, they probably, I mean, they shouldn't have fired Cliff. Um, that was dumb when they did it. I wait. Did they fire him, Kingsbury? Yeah, he got fired. I thought he just took the Cardinals' job. Oh, he got fired. Oh, man, I've just totally blacked that out of my memory. Then apparently, I thought he just. Uh, t- I don't know. Doesn't matter. Nope. It should have been. It sh- it should have been. They should have kept Cliff, and they should have forced him to to look outside for different DCs, like DCs that are that are fundamental based and are just get lined up correctly and tackle based. It, it, I mean, it was they, they they let an offensive genius go, and that was very stupid. Did they really fire him? Why do I not remember that? I don't know. I mean, it was twenty. Was he just twenty eighteen. The... Remember, they they finished the twenty eighteen oh, season yeah. like losing like four or five in a row, and they had like three or four straight chances at bowl eligibility, and just and didn't get there. Okay, yeah. Um, and of course, I mean, this is super easy to say in hindsight. It's just, I mean, when you fire Cliff Kingsbury and then you hire Matt Wells, it's like, I mean, you kind of get what you deserve. (laughs) That being said, there is absolutely zero, zero chance I would ever even think about laying 19 and a half right now with Oklahoma. Are you kidding me with this defense, with an offense like Texas Tech's? What? Uh, Yeah, I will gladly take those points. I will gladly take almost three touchdowns. I mean, yeah, I'd love only, it to be a twenty-one, obviously, but yeah, the the only thing yeah. that you just you look at and you're just like, oh well, is just I mean, Texas and TCU. I mean, really, really smoked Texas Tech's defense. I mean, it was not competitive, really. Yeah, yeah. Anything else in this matchup, or we want to move on? Uh, I don't know. I think there's. I I they kind of wrote down some some interesting sort of. Like for instance, like what what would you guess their run pass split is? Um, uh, I I guess probably close fifty fifty. Yeah, it's uh it's fifty three forty seven run to pass. Like this isn't this isn't the old school, 
spread it out and throw it every single time. Right? I mean, it's Matt Wells. I mean, Matt Wells wasn't doing that. Granted, I guess Sonny Cumbie was the offensive coordinator. I only bring that so. up. I only bring that up because Sonny Cumbie is going to throw it 60 times for sure. On, uh, um, yeah. Why wouldn't so, he? Yeah, I mean, he would be he'd be foolish not to just with all of the space <laughs> yeah. that OU's defense is very likely going to give them. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's the, exactly the only, what Oklahoma expects. Oklahoma's going to be expecting it, though. Back no, to what you said a couple days I bet, ago. I bet they're going to come in expecting Texas Tech just to run the same offense they've ran the entire season. Which, well, I mean, you you have to prepare for that because, of course, they're going to run a lot of the, you know, a lot of their same stuff. But um, also another thing that I saw they and this may be I don't know this may not be an outlier this may not be weird but they have 28 rushes this season from the wide receiver position um, and I only so I, I only brought that up just because uh, Ezzy he te- like he took a jet sweep to the house uh, on their on their very first possession last week um, they run a lot of motion they do run a lot of jet sweeps uh, oh, which is goodness. I mean. Which is tough. I mean, it's tough for OU. They can't defend the edge because they don't know how right. to set the edge. What's Texas Tech's team over? Because I want, I want the over. <laughs> What's that number? What's their Texas Tech team over to over under? Because my goodness gracious. Oh yeah, I would, I would, I'd be hitting that all day. The only thing that I would say that OU can maybe hit the oh, Texas Tech's quarterbacks this year have turned it over quite a bit. Um, they've they're they've they've thrown nine interceptions coming into this game, um, and you know, in eight games, that's a lot. That's a lot. So, well, Oklahoma has not gotten an interception though since Delarian Turner yell against West Virginia in Week Four. Well, it's a good thing that actually, we have no idea if DTY is going to be back. I was going to say it's a good thing he's back because then maybe they'll come. I don't know. I, hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Like, I think this is we're we're de- we're, we're officially in that. We're officially in like the realm where it doesn't like us going back and watching Texas Tech and breaking it down like we typically would. It's useless at this point in time because that's not what the story of the game is. The story of the game is, is can OU kind of pull their head out of the their you know what and figure it out because if OU plays well in this game, they're not going to lose. And so that's the story. Man, I cannot find a texas tech team total but the man the over under for the full game seems kind of low 66 and a half i i wonder if they're going for the I mean, it d- depends on how texas tech plays it i mean if they're coming out bleeding the clock oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah which yeah. is that's right and i i i mean i i gotta say i mean if if texas tech's coaching staff sonny cumbie and his staff right now are watching film and they're thinking yeah, let's come out and let's let's get tempo and let's. I mean, I, I, I just I don't know what to do with that. It, it, like the blueprint is just is so very clear, is so clear. You you, you let you let the play clock run down. Keep OU's offense off the field. Keep that defense on the field as much as humanly possible. So I I mean I think Sonny Cumbie's a really good OC. So you know I think I, I think that's likely what he's going to do, but. I don't know. I mean, TCU and Texas felt like they could kind of go it at at their own pace and speed, and it it didn't work out well for them. So, I mean, I mean, Texas right. scored scored a lot, I suppose, but it also gave OU a ton of possessions to figure out their offense in the second half. So, um, another, another weird thing, they don't have so they're they only have one pass catcher that has more than one touchdown. 
and it is their tight end, Travis Kuntz, who has 13 catches this year. He's got three touchdowns, so keep an eye out for him and short yardage, goal line, OU. I mean, this is now just mostly thinking back to the two-lane game, really struggling to cover the tight end. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Tosh Pretty Brooks. sure that guy had a, a, a massive explosive touchdown last year, and it was against Trey Norwood. Oh, it, it was that guy, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I mean, Sir Roderick Thompson is their lead back. And yeah, he's 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 been decent this year. He's got he's got eight touchdowns, three hundred and sixty yards, averaging about five yards a carry. His uh, his backup though, Taj Brooks, uh, three hundred and seventeen yards. He scored four times, and he's averaging over eight yards a pop when he touches it. So um, clearly, a guy who's probably pretty explosive. So, um, but I mean, we, th- this isn't going to surprise anybody. Texas Tech has some guys who can put the ball in the end zone. They always yeah. do. It's just it depends on. You know how well that they can pass protect, and just man, I hope OU's defensive line kind of decides to wake up a bit. Jalen Redmond being back hopefully helps with that. It's kind of weird that they're playing Texas Tech the same week of the season that they played them last year, Halloween week. Eh, just something I'm I noticed. They played them on Halloween last year, Halloween Sunday this this year. That's right. Yeah, it <laughs> was it was actually on Halloween. Yeah, but you know what. Who cares? All right, let's go to the Big 12. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, the big one of the Big 12 this week is Texas at Baylor. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Iowa State is at West Virginia. Iowa State on the road is giving seven to West Virginia. That's, that line seems a bit fishy to me. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's one where you seriously consider going money line on West Virginia. Yeah, you'd think it would be a little bigger than seven. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking the the West Virginia plus the seven there might be a play, like I think T- I mean, I'm trying to think I mean is it is it too much of is it crazy for me to say that I think West Virginia is probably the second worst team in the Big Twelve. That's not crazy because it'd be I mean they I mean, like, they lost the to Texas Tech. Well, who else would it be then? I mean, uh, TCU. No, I mean I think I mean, TCU is is better than West. I, I I would take TCU over West. Even did West Virginia just beat TCU, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah they did. They did. Oh, so maybe it is TCU then. I didn't see yeah. that one coming. I that geez man, that was my pick for Big Twelve Championship game. Hey, by the way, we wrote off our Utah pick way too quick for the Pac-12. I guess. Really. I think they're yeah. I think they're they're kind of like if you look at them, they're it's it's looking actually pretty good for them right now. Yeah, they're four and three. Yeah, but I also think I think they I think they only have one loss in the Pac-12 though. Because oh. they, they lost to BYU. Yeah, they're actually they're yeah they're tied atop the South with Arizona State. <laughs> I mean, we did have him in the playoff, though. That's that's over and dead. But uh, yeah, yeah. They, Wait, they did I pick the them to go to the playoff? I thought you did. No, I picked Wisconsin to go to the playoff. Oh, did I? No, 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 no. Yeah, none of us picked the playoff. You're right. You're right. That was the one team that we were leaving out of the playoff was Utah. Ooh, okay. All right. Yeah, okay. What if I'd feel pretty good if Utah ends up winning it all, win the, winning that conference? <laughs> winning it oh. all. Win it all. Win it all. What would have to? Yeah. Geez, a, a a three loss Utah team. What would have to happen right now in college football for them to win it all? 
Uh, that, that's, that's a podcast that only Utah fans want to listen to. TCU is at K-State. Maybe this is a confirmation that TCU is the worst team in the Big Twelve because K State's obviously a, a home favorite, but they're they're three and a half. They got they, they got to get the hook too. K State minus three and a half. That's how much uh, TCU is down, man. I feel like that should be like TCU. Maybe maybe K State by three, if not K State by like two, two and a half, three and a I half. Think, uh, yeah, I think honestly, I mean that game may be a bit of a shootout. Yeah. Because like I mean I don't K State's K State's defense is the top down keep everything in front of you type defense though yeah but I think I I think Zach Evans is supposed to be back I saw a tweet saying that he was he was good and he was gonna play um and I I mean Kansas State's defense is not good um like so true and I and I I mean Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn against that TCU defense I mean they're gonna be able to score for sure yeah might look towards the the over in that one over under is 58 and a half eh, that's it's kind of actually that's actually kind of high yeah yeah i mean but i mean it wouldn't again wouldn't surprise me if they both score into the 30s and a half. it's just all about it's what what pace does kansas state play at um we'll see and then finally kansas is at oklahoma state oklahoma state's a 30 and a half point favorite and we're going to watch oklahoma state have absolutely no problem with kansas because well almost certainly shut them out it's just uh, it's going to be really frustrating to the national scene grant got hot again last week four and one with your picks 24 and 16 overall that's pretty good i was three and two i'm slowly chipping away man i was really bad like three four weeks ago i'm, I'm getting closer to 500 Getting closer to 500, 17 and 23. All right, let's go to the Big Ten with our first game. A top 10 matchup. We got Michigan at Michigan State. Michigan number six at number eight, Michigan State. And it's Michigan as a road favorite by four points. This line's telling you to take Michigan. They're saying Michigan's a better team, man. Uh, and, and I think they are. I, I, I Michigan State, obviously, they, what are they? Are they? They lo- are they unbeaten? Or they lose. Man, yeah, they're so unbeaten. I'm, uh, that, I mean, they have to be like next to OU, probably the luckiest unbeaten team as far as like they should not be unbeaten. Um, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, they got they got just freaking smoked in the second half against Nebraska like a month ago and held on to win. Um, I know. I mean, they were tied against you know at Miami going to the fourth quarter of that game. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely on Michigan here. I one thing I think you got to be careful with this game is just is thinking that this is Mark D'Antonio, you know, Michigan State. Whereas, like, no, they they, they I mean, they can actually they can throw it. They they got a couple of receivers who are dynamic and are pretty good. And uh, also Kenneth Walker the third. If it was just Kenneth Walker the third, for I mean, this would be such an easy Michigan layup. Whereas, like, yeah, I mean, that Michigan defense going up against a one-dimensional Michigan State team. But you know. Yeah, I'm going more with just kind of like the the line logic here. It wouldn't shock me if Michigan State wins this game because they can complete forward passes, and Michigan on offense is still one-dimensional. Hmm. This is the year, man. This is the year where Michigan's different. I can feel it. This is the this, this is the year where Michigan can actually give like Ohio State a run. Michigan's going to beat Ohio State. That's kind of one of my hot takes. Um, that game's in Ann Arbor. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Actually, you know what? Change this. I'm going to go with Michigan State in this game. Change it for me, please. 
See, Michigan State's going to be a very popular public home underdog. I mean, the public's going to be all over Michigan State. Oh, I, I get a top 10 team at home catching points. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's going to be a, a big thing. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go with Michigan. Like, How about I mean, this I think line, it's, Grant? Because I, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I think it's going to be close. Like, M- Michigan has not really been, sm- like, killing teams lately. Um, and Michigan State has a pulse. I, yeah, I, it's going to be a close game. And I'll, in, in a close game, I'll take the home team that's getting points. It's a, a fair handicap. I don't know, man. I mean, Michigan, with the exception of Nebraska, eh, I guess Rutgers, too. They've been blowing people out. They just blew out Northwestern in what was an obvious look-ahead spot, so at least they were focused for that one. All right, how about this line? This is uh, super interesting. Two teams that you basically said are like the same team like a week or two ago. Number nine, Iowa, is at Wisconsin, and it's the Badgers as a three-and-a-half-point home favorite over number nine, Iowa. This line, this line's telling you to take Wisconsin. <laughs> this line said, "Yeah, yeah, the Badgers are, are a better team. Uh, take, take the Badgers. They're figuring it out." So uh, I'm going to take the Badgers minus yeah, three and a half. Same, same. I think that's that's what you got to go with there. Oh boy, wheels off for Iowa. Late season push for Wisconsin. Stay tuned. 11 a.m. Saturday. All right, that's really stupid. Texas at number 16, Baylor. Baylor, a three point home favorite. Man, how about this? You would have told us two months ago that the Texas-Baylor game, Baylor would be a three-point favorite <laughs> over Texas. Baylor was picked to finish last in the conference, I think, or second to last behind Can- uh, out of Kansas. Dave Aranda, what a coaching job he's done. Good for him, man. So, yeah, the only thing that I – I mean, with Dave Aranda, the only thing that kind of gives me comfort is that I just I, – there's almost no chance he's at Baylor next season. Really? You think he's going to go right away? Uh, I think, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be LSU's next head coach. But that's just me. Oh, interesting. Huh. That would be, I mean, that'd be smart. That's what LSU should do. But also, I mean, I never, never assume that LSU is going to make a good hire. It doesn't matter. I mean, if they make a bad hire, the dude's still going to win a national title anyway. So. That being said, this game, I don't know, man. I kind of, I kind of think I want Texas. Well, give me Baylor, uh, just because I, I, I kind of feel like Dave Aranda is going to have an answer for what Texas wants to do on offense. And Baylor's run game is really good, and we know Texas's run defense is atrociously awful. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point, man. Uh, both, uh, inter- I mean, both teams are coming off a bye. I think. Yeah, so they're both well rested. You know, I I kind of changed my mind now. I'm I'm thinking now I I I want Baylor. But if I see, you know, I mean, if we if, if Texas comes out and they're able to move the ball and look, I mean, that's going to give me a lot of confidence for you know a couple weeks in Waco for OU, for sure. Yeah. Um, we see, I I just yeah, I, I Baylor's clearly a good team. Dave Aranda's clearly a good coach. They were well coached last season too. Um, and I I I just I, Texas isn't there yet, and so man, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling really good about. My comments about Texas at the beginning of the season. What were they? Just Texas is who they are until they prove otherwise. Oh, and anybody gotcha. picking them gotcha. to to do anything are, are being foolish. <laughs> yeah. All right. This line is super weird to me. 
You're going to have to explain this one, one to me, Grant. We got number 12, Kentucky, on the road, giving one point to Mississippi State. Is, I, don't, I don't think Mississippi State is that good. I, but why is this only a one-point Kentucky line? I, can you explain this one? Probably because Kentucky also is not very good. Oh. So, I mean, it's essentially a pick em. I just think this is a really weird line. And so normally when a line's really weird, you should just stay away. But this is a podcast, and we're just having some fun. So I mean, i got to take Mississippi State. I mean, that's a... I, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm an expert on either of those teams this season. I know Mississippi State can play a little bit of defense. Like, not great. I know they just got... Actually, maybe that's where it is. Like, maybe there's you're getting some value. Wait, no, you're not getting any value on Mississippi State because you're only getting one... I mean, they just got they got killed by Alabama. That was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Now this is all just totally stupid. Man. Give me Mississippi State. Whatever. Give me Kentucky. I. This is Kentucky's first game since they were beaten by Georgia. They've had a week off. They want to get that taste out of their mouth. I know they're on the road, but this has got to be a matchup-based thing. I bet Kentucky and Mississippi State. Well, they're on different sides of the SEC, though. They probably, they don't play a whole lot. Hmm. When's the last time they played? I can't even tell you. Oh, they played last year. Oh, last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kentucky smoked them last year, but I mean, whatever. Every year's different, though, right, Grant? Yeah, give me Kentucky just basically to win the game because it's only one point. And lastly, this, is kind of, this game doesn't have as much fanfare as maybe as it – would have, but I find it interesting because I saw that Sean Clifford's going to play for Penn State, number 20 Penn State, and apparently James Franklin said he's going to be fully healthy at Ohio State. Ohio State's playing a lot better now, and they're given 18 and a half at home. That's a lot of points for a Penn State team that is kind of in a free fall right now, uh, but I, I think that's just that's a lot of points, I, especially if Penn State's getting their guy back. I mean, I don't know. I guess Ohio State's defense has played a lot better. This is Penn, a lot different defense than that Minnesota game. Penn State's defense is still playing well, though. I, you know, yeah, this is a this is a Penn weird. Yeah, I'm taking Penn I'm State. Take that's Penn a lot State. of points. That's a lot of points. Um, Ohio State randomly now is is SP Plus's number one team. They jumped Georgia. That's I mean that's what happens when you when you kick the crap out of people and score a lot of points. Well, the interesting thing about Ohio State is their defense looked awful early in the year. So they've figured something out. I know that they gave their defensive coordinator, they took away his play calling duties or something like that. Kerry Coombs, I think, at, at some point. He doesn't call the plays anymore. I, I I'm not an expert on this, but boy, can you imagine that happening at Oklahoma? Like Hey, hey, Alex, uh, we're going to give the play calling duties over to Roy Manning or Jamar Kane. You know, I, and you're just going to still be the defensive coordinator. Interesting, man. Ohio State actually, man, they got their um, their schedule to end the season is is kind of brutal. I mean, they're they got Penn State this week. Um, they're on the road at Nebraska next week. And I'm sure a lot of people who would poo poo that. But Nebraska has been very competent this season. Uh, then they're at home against Purdue, who just went on the road and beat Iowa. And then they play Michigan State, second to last week of the season. And then they're at Michigan, 
last week. Yeah, that's that is brutal. Uh, they're 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 almost certainly going to lose another game. I don't know. And man. I think, they got the offense kind of figured out. If that defense is as good as it has been, yeah. Playing but against, like, let's. Granted, I mean, so yeah. they lost. They lost to Oregon in week two, and like, let's just. I mean, their their schedule has been easier than OU's has been since then. I mean, it's. I mean, they beat they they struggled with Tulsa. They beat Akron. They beat Rutgers. They beat Maryland, who is in also in free fall. Maryland just got Minnesota killed Maryland this past week. wasn't wasn't as close as the score suggested. And then they played Indiana. Indiana's bad. Indiana's not good. And, I mean, I they and, were, but they killed all those teams. I mean, that's 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 right. four straight games where they have scored. And they're over not giving 50, up a bunch of, and, and they're not giving up a bunch of points to bad teams like Oklahoma is, and yards. And that's, oh, sure, I, I guess the, that's the kicker. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not comparing them to OU. I guess oh, I was okay. only just saying, like Ohio State is their own is is their own unique team, and they still had enough warts and enough problems to lose to Oregon, an Oregon team that isn't as good as we thought they were when they went into Columbus and beat Ohio State. So those, I think those problems are still there. The problems with CJ Stroud are still there. I can assure you. Um, that's why I'm kind of interested in this this game against Penn State. Because Penn State's defense has still remained pretty strong this year. Yeah, back-to-back losses. I mean, that's, what a random Illinois. I, I, I kind of had a feeling that Illinois could would play that game tough because I, I had heard that like Brett Bielema the week before had basically just called out the entire team and said, like, we don't have anybody in our two deep on the offensive line that is, that's any good. <laughs> so I kind of I had a feeling that these players are going to be mad and respond and be like yeah well, we'll show you coach and they went out and they, they won a game they, they beat Penn State in a game they had no business winning probably yeah and I guess I just don't I don't understand the the narrative about them being in free fall I mean I know they were up by two scores at Iowa and then Clifford gets hurt and they lose the game um, and then they come out and they just they play like a, we, a weird game against Illinois in which it was probably pretty fluky that they lost I would I would assume in a game like that so I, I don't oh, know. I didn't I mean, know this... Clifford played. I guess I didn't know Clifford played against Illinois. He did. Oh, he did. I thought Clifford was out for that game. No, he was bad. <laughs> he was not good in that game. That's that's probably why. So you know, maybe he wasn't fully healthy. Maybe now he's getting back to full health. Yeah, uh, also, I, I I was not I was not the biggest Sean Clifford guy. Anyways, last season uh, he's just kind of like a one dimensional player. Yeah, I really do uh, think Penn State is the play there. Um, it's. Because their, I mean, their defense has still been been good this season. I mean, look at their the most points they've given up in a game this year is 20, 23 to Iowa, and they gave up twenty to Auburn. I mean, they they shut out Indiana. You know, I mean, I I realize they lost to Illinois, but it's not like Illinois was lighting up the scoreboard in that game. All right, we'll see. Yeah, let's see. I, uh, man. We're consistently around an hour forty, hour fifty on these midweek podcasts. Yeah, I'm I'm good. Um, we got to probably wrap it up here. You got any final thoughts? I, boy, there's so many things going on right now. What a fun time! It's a uh, lot going on. Lot going on. Just uh, be getting into November here pretty soon. And I, I mean, I can't believe it's our. I mean, they've already played eight games. That's you wait. Great. I I can't begin to tell you how fast, and it happens the same way every year. But I swear to God, last week it was August third. I mean, it, it just when the calendar hits August, eh, August like fifteenth, middle of August, it it's fast forward mode, man. Like I wish, I wish January through May 
felt this fast because those months to me are just the doldrums. There's hey, just man. nothing going on. NBA in and college months. basketball fans are saying, what are you talking about, man? It's a great time. Well, uh, you're right. I'm, I'm wrong about that. Totally wrong. No. Heck, I, but man, the best time of the year. And the thing is, I was talking about to you uh, off the air the other day. We get so much time throughout the, the year where there's no football. And then all of a sudden, we just get so much football in such a short amount of time. It's like, can we spread this out? I mean, can we spread this to see? Can we, can we play some games in June? Like, I'd love to watch more of these games. I'd love to have more time to watch more of these Big Ten and ACC games. Like, it's just, I can't. Because, like, it's, it's June 13th, and, like, heck, it'd be great if there was a football game on tonight that I could watch and pay attention to and take notes on, which is insane, I know. That's never going to happen. But it's, like, I find myself all the time in these off-season months thinking, like, man, I would love to be able to watch a new game right now and have some thoughts on it. But then we get to September, and there's 100 games. That's There's not 100 games, but there's 50 games a week. I can't watch all of them. I can't, it's impossible. It sucks, man. But it's also awesome. <laughs> it's great. It's just... Uh so one of those, I mean, it's the best time of the year. You got to be really mindful. You got to be really, just kind of lock in and just sort of be like, hey, this is, got to appreciate it for sure. Because it's, uh, it, it comes and goes really fast. That's one of the, getting get a little philosophical here at the end. That's, that's, that's kind of one of the disappointments about adulthood, right? Is that it just doesn't ever slow down. It just keeps getting faster and faster. And uh, so you really got to kind of take a bit to just be like, okay. And that's why that's why it's like I, I it'd be great if we just moved on from the Kansas game because it's just like ah we wait we wait nine months for this for our favorite time of the year to come and then it's just like yeah we spend the entire week kind of upset that it's Kansas week and then they don't play well and it's just like yeah you know really really would would like would prefer to stay in a, a positive frame of mind because this is the best time of the year and it's it's uh and we're gonna be we're gonna miss it when it's gone absolutely all right we'll be back. After the OU Texas Tech game with a post game podcast either on Sunday or on Monday. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. <laughs>